0: If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review and tap the follow button so that you never miss an episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Monday. You know what that means? It's time for another episode of RFRx, your prescription for coping. I'm your host, I'm Kara, and I am joined this evening by returning co-host Rob Palmer. Rob, how are you doing?
1: I'm just great. How are you doing, Kara? I have to apologize in advance because my cat is being very vocal.
0: Your cat so has been up. very vocal the last few weeks. I, I, I think they have some things to tell us. I wish I could
1: understand cat ease, though.
0: I know. They're trying. They're doing their best. I actually read somewhere that when cats are vocalizing like that, and and of course, I don't know how they determined what was happening in their mind, but the the article claimed that uh, the hypothesis is that the cats maybe mimicking what they perceive to be the sound of human speech (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like it's kind of like when we go up to a cat and we're like meow
1: (laughs) i actually get worried about that when i when i get annoyed with them and i say okay let me just answer you i'll try to mimic exactly what you just did and of course i wouldn't have got it exactly right and they're looking at me and what do they think i said
0: (laughs) yeah and then they repeat it back to you i I guess that's what they think you said (laughs) So I like that as, as a species, like we both think that each other sounds ridiculous. There's <laughs> so actually there a, a
1: Netflix documentary I watched uh, called The Mind of a Cat, and I think they were just making stuff up, frankly. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, how do you really know yeah, what's I, in the mind of a I, cat? I think there's a whole field of phenomenology and philosophy on this, and I, I don't think that question has been answered yet. But
1: yeah, they were they were claiming it was science, like they had these people who study this these things. And one example is they're sitting on the floor in a big circle, and another person's in it. And like, if they said something, did they go? Did the cat come to them, or did it go to the other person? And that meant something. It's like you're just making this up.
0: Yeah, how do you know? <laughs> What do these people know? People with all their fancy degrees. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, let us know if your cat has any insights for us later on. I will. We want to hear them. I guess, without further ado, I will introduce our special guest who needs no introduction. You've seen him here before something like maybe 13 or 14 times, perhaps. Uh he's he's been here a few times and back by popular demand we have David Teachout who is a mental health therapist and photographer focused on and teaching how creativity intersects with mental flexibility. David grew up as a Christian fundamentalist, attending a Bible college and receiving a bachelor's in theology and psychology. During his studies there, David deconverted and has been on a journey of appreciating humanity and all of the stories we create to build meaning and purpose. He has a master's degree in both forensic psychology and counseling psychology and is currently at work on a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's kind of a nerd. And I say that with love in my heart, (laughs) David has been actively working within the field of psychology as a therapist, social worker, advocate and subject matter expert for over 15 years in his spare time he enjoys reading a copious amount follow him on Goodreads. Of both fiction and nonfiction, exploring perspective through photography. And he maintains a blog at www.lifeweavings.com and a podcast at humanitiesvalues.com. And I will drop those in the chat. And David, welcome.
2: Hello, Kara.
0: Thank you for All coming right. back again. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't intending coming
2: back this fast initially it was going to be the end of february but so what's, what's the actual
1: well. count what's the what's the actual count for this are we up to, are we up to 15 <laughs> I, yet
2: i think
0: i've this is 13. Whoa.
2: at least as far as like the notes that i've kept it's 13. So, that
0: sounds right to me because yeah. i think we hit 10 towards the end of last year and you've been back mm-hmm. a couple of times already this year yeah, so, yeah. and I, I'm pretty so. excited about this one. This is sort of starting off our our February uh, themed series of talks to do with everyone's favorite time of year. I say that. you know. <laughs>
2: yeah. Way. Anytime we're going to talk about relationships, I'm um, like, you know, let's see how many uh, toes I can step on uh, this evening. But uh, we'll <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have some fun. And absolutely, as anybody who hasn't been around for uh, for a presentation from me before um most definitely any questions uh put them in the chat and i love being or as organic as possible um so if i happen to see a, a question that pertains immediately then odds are i'll multitask and, and answer it right then um but otherwise yeah we'll get to it at the end and then as well um yeah i'll be hanging out afterwards for a bit
0: Excellent. Well, I am super pumped about that. And I have been excited for this topic all week. We were talking about it in the pre-show. There are a lot of relationship terms and concepts that we probably need to unpack here.
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, Well, and Kara has the special thing about she got a bit of a uh, 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 preview uh, for Mm -hmm this, so you are you're you're fun. <laughs> yes. Um. So, want to start off with? Um. I uh, got a quote actually from Robert Solomon, um, where uh, he responded to you know what is love it's like. Love is in fact quite ordinary, uh, less than cosmic, not the answer to all vice problems, and sometimes calamitous. Uh, so <laughs> uh, we'll we'll just start off uh, there. And so part of this then is, is like, okay, so love and relationships. Uh, how does this all work? What the hell do we even mean by love? And no, I will not be quoting from the Apostle Paul. So we can just move on from there. Um, wait but i spent I've...
0: my childhood memorizing that you mean you mean <laughs> i can't use it love is patient love is kind it does not envy yes. it does not boast it is not pr- yeah okay i'll stop
2: it actually is a, a quite lovely lovely definition of love um but uh uh actually when I, now i've got the scene from uh, wedding crashers in my head where the two of them are in there going you know betting on which bible verse uh that they're gonna quote from <laughs> Oh, yes man I'm gonna to have to I go will. back and watch the movie again anyway uh, so you no know, so part of it is um, again I'll make another plug for the uh, a very short introduction series uh, I had to laugh <laughs> about ready your your there was a comment about ready your Goodreads list um, because some people I think somebody mentioned the other couple of weeks ago that uh, their partner, uh, was like please don't go to David's presentation because every time you get done you have like another half dozen books to read <laughs> so it's um that's true yeah, it, it, it is true so um but I'll make another plug for the very short introduction series um all of which I have like on this top shelf here um and there is one uh called love uh it's by Ronald D'Souza uh and super fun uh really it's yeah fun going through. And he actually uh, you know, has an interesting thing. One, he's noting that love is, in fact, not an emotion. We'll go into that a bit more here shortly. Um, but he thinks of, rather than think of love as an emotion, uh, it is, in fact, a condition that shapes and governs thoughts, desires, emotions, and behaviors around the focal person who is the beloved. Now, I would add... And he himself would probably add just, you know, he was trying to be succinct. But I would add that it doesn't have to be a person and it certainly doesn't have to be singular. Uh, so um, so we break love down here for the purposes of what we're going through. Uh, we break down, love is essentially a, uh, a a condition to use D'Souza's word, but it's also a, um, a kind of catch all phrase. In many ways, I look at the term "love" in the same way that I refer or I look at the term "God." Um, it's a bowl. It, it, I mean, it's just it's it's a basket that we put things into that, in many ways, um, helps us determine or identify relationships between how we see the world and our own internalized relationship with how we relate to our own uh you know feeling states so there's two components then of love which we'll um, go through here and one is the object itself is it a person or persons uh is it a place is it a thing i mean because we can all talk about stuff we hear it all the time like oh i love uh you know some form of food um you know i love you know this you know going to this place you know i love you know this um you know, we were talking about earlier, uh, there's a, uh, you know, glass, uh, you know, a forest church kind of thing that was being referenced for a potential wedding. Congrats, by the way, again. And, it's, <laughs> um, you know, that was just like, wow, this would be, you know, it's just almost like I love this plate. Like, it's just, it's gorgeous. Oh, right. Okay. And yet, at the same time, we can also refer to it in the sense of, I love family, I love an intimate partner, even love a friend. Um And yet at the same token, we clearly mean slightly different things because we're not going around expressing uh, our love for our friend in the same way as we would our intimate partner or a family member. If you are, we have the secular therapy project. So, you know, it's figuring out like how all this, you know, how this works. And then so that brings us to the second component here, which is intent. You know, it's which intent here I'm meaning um, the emotional weight that is felt uh, and preoccupation or a level of focus with from the casual to uh, limerence, which totally came across this word. I'd heard it before. Um, it was actually originally coined as American psychologist Dorothy Tenov uh t e n n o v. Um and um, basically it was a word that kind of was looking at as the uh um something where you know there's a form of love where it's completely like flat out destructive, burn everything down, the whole world is 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 you know my fire that I want to you know express. Um think like Romeo and Juliet with cocaine. Like, it's just like to the upteenth degree, it's absurd. Um, and so it's just a, yeah. So, from like casual to insanity, here's what we can do as far as the intent and emotional weight to it. Um, and so, keeping those things in mind is a way of uh, figuring out how to frame uh, not only what love is, but also how we consider relationships. And we'll go into that a bit more you know, later as well. Um, so a lot of what we're going to be going through, essentially, is figuring out, like, how do we get away from, to a bit, to a point, how do we get away from the very vague uh, assumption-based uh, communication and thinking that we often engage in that then land you in a lot of trouble quite often. Um, And is often what I end up hearing about in, you know, uh, conversations from the casual to the therapeutic. Um, And so what we're doing here is actually going to be offering a structure for how to actually think about these things and then be able to communicate them and have a dialogue about it so that we're not stuck um, in the state of you know, does he, does she, do they, do they not? Like, no, 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 no. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Um, What does this label mean? How am I applying it? Um, I think we're talking past one another and all, you know, everything, you know, included. Um, So really trying to bring this down in such a way that we can, here's a systematic way of having this conversation that does not, in fact, take away the, you know, the fun and, on to it I'm not sure if you actually could <laughs> but yeah um, so come back to that question later um, so the um, initially want to as well kind of here um, is looking at um, okay <laughs> Oh yeah, we're gonna get into yeah neurodivergence a little bit and, and autism and so on and so forth um, a bit. So this is this is gonna be fun. Um, but so part of this here is as well. So this is some background a bit uh, to lay the stage. Uh, is there is a difference? And for those who have heard me speak before, um, you know I've gone into this a bit uh, behind the theory of constructed emotion. Uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett being one of the thinkers behind it. There are several others. Um, but the thing essentially, there's a difference between what we refer to as feelings and emotions. And we have feelings which are the kind of internal um energetic responses to stimuli, you know things out in the world and internally. like we can we can have a, a kind of arousal state, um using the term arousal in a very generic sense, uh, not in a sexual way. Um, but we can have an you know arousal state. Where um you know, for instance, we can have dilated pupils, skin galvanic response increase, which is you know skin sensitivity, um, you can have um blood flow increasing and so on and so forth. All of these things can exist, and they can exist from everything from well sexual excitement to fear to anxiety. And those are what we referred to as emotions. They're the Con, you know the, the contextualized stories that we have built socially and between one another to understand and give uh, structure to the feelings that we that we're experiencing bodily and mentally so here so now admitted <laughs> this is not how often you know many people use it and people will use um you know the terms interchangeably all the time Uh, And, you know, I'm not a, you know, pedantic, you know, ass. So, you know, no, don't, you know, draw too much attention to it. But for the purposes of like, helping with clarity and working through a few things, it can be really helpful to be able to differentiate between I am having this feeling and I'm having this like state of heightened arousal based on any number of what's going on. And being able to differentiate that from wait, and what am I going to call this? What story? It's <laughs> It is not a bad thing. Um, but what story am I applying to help understand not only my own experience, but also then I'd be able to express it to somebody else? Because that's often what we get stuck on, right? I mean, we're having this like you know, does anybody here like you ever have that you know, uh, 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 you know, experience where you're going? Wait, I, I'm feeling something, but I can't quite put it into words. Like, you know, it's like, ah, like I, I want to be able to show you what's going on um, and so on. And in fact, this, as a slight tangent, is the answer or an, a- an answer to this whole thing around guys don't show emotion um, or you're not being, uh, you know, very emotional here or whatnot um um so the uh uh for anybody who's watching like i'm just laughing because i'm watching the i'm reading some of the comments um so the because in fact what's happening is that guys and i'm using that term very generically um but you know the the stereotypical male stoic like i am not feeling um is complete and utter bullshit uh, it's not <laughs> that somebody is not feeling anything they are in fact feeling like you literally are incapable of not feeling something in this in this sense that you're always having a bodily reaction to stuff so both internally and externally what we're truly having a question about there is that the emotion is that the way that the person is expressing it the perhaps label that they're using as well is not falling under a certain socially prescribed way of expressing. You know, I've ha- had it said where it's like, well, you know, I'm not very emotional because I'm not crying about this. No, like that is not a requirement. Tears <laughs> are not a requirement or a necessity for cert- and really any level of emotional expression. They're just they're not. Which incidentally, this goes into the whole can, you know canard around people on you know spectrum who supposedly like, oh well, you're not, you know, have emotions. Yeah, everybody does. <laughs> it's just that how are we defining these experiences in a way that um is personally expressionable within a certain social context? And so. Rather, so any time that you that you're with somebody, and you know you're um, having an issue around, okay, well, wait a minute, uh, you know what is this person meaning? What are they feeling? What are they? Uh, you know, I'm not sure if they actually, you know, are are you know being you know moved in some capacity uh, in this moment is to essentially go, okay, wait a minute. Clearly, they're having a feeling because they have a pulse. You know, if you're dealing with a corpse, again, RFR has a great therapy program. Um, but if you're not, then uh, the person has is having experience. And so rather than assuming that uh, they're not having an emotional expression is instead to start asking questions about what this means to them. To start asking questions around, for instance, how do you express? Or when you're doing, X. What does that mean to you? What is the what is the emotion that you would give to that? What you know? How do you know? What is it? You know, it's a common thing within couples of going, um, uh, and this is where the the whole love language thing, um, which is way too over (laughs) way over way too overdone Um, okay yeah i um, want to hear
0: your comments on that don't get (laughs) off topic but i I was gonna ask you about that if how much of that is overhyped
2: it's a hugely overhyped um but the it is a very nice initial structure for being able to categorize the behavioral part of emotional expression But notice that it's just the behavioral part. It does, and then it assumes often the story or perspective that the person is bringing. Further, people get really caught up. You know, it's the whole thing around personality quizzes and the whole Myers Briggs, which that one particularly drives me crazy because there's literally no science behind it. Um, But is that um, uh, people get caught up? My wife teaches it.
0: <laughs> I know. Um, so it's, it's like that, IQ tests, totally valid, right? <laughs> they're valid within the the frame that they
2: are talking about. People just use them you know, in very unhelpful ways, in um, way outside what they're intended. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's people will then isolate, like, wow, this is my love language, and therefore this is the only way that I can express myself or accept it. No. It's like one, even if it were even nominally true, um, it wouldn't be healthy <laughs> to stick with it. Like the flexibility in responding to emotional experiences in new ways is ex- is is a healthy practice to do. And I was um, just talking with with uh, you know somebody the other day around. Um, you know the nature of not only this but also uh, creativity and empathy and empathy which also is overly lauded but is that is empathy is expanded through an increased uh, imagination which itself is based on creativity and new experiences so literally you want to expand your empathetic muscle, so to speak, go out and do different things. Like literally, you know, if like, for instance, you don't have any kids, go find a children's theater production (laughs) and sit in the back and watch as much as the kids, watch the parents. Like really, you know, take a look at, wait a minute, these are people having a very different experience than I do. Huh. Okay. It doesn't mean that you have to understand it, you know, 100%. One, it's not possible anyway. But two, it's not about fully, um, uh, you know, understanding it. It's about just giving your brain more data and more experiences to expand the capacity to connect with others, i.e. empathy. So it's around, um, so all of that coming back then to love languages and so on. If you have a predilection towards one, great. We all have like certain tendencies, like whatever. Like, here's what is easier for me. But actively, you know, explore these other things. Like actively engage in different ways because that is what is going, one of the many reasons, one of the many things is, is going to be helpful in any kind of maintenance of a relationship about any kind. So, that was a little bit more of a tangent. Um, um,
0: we're so, here for the tangents. We're here for
2: the tangents. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, the Adam Ruins Everything uh, episode on the myers is fantastic. Um, so, it's highly... For
1: some reason, my wife will not watch it.
2: I have no... Yeah, I have a few therapists that would refuse to watch it. So, yeah. Um, so... Now part of this gun goes like okay well wait a minute why does all this matter like why like why is this so bloody important to us why do we have movie after movie after rom-com after show after you know like the the idea of love and romance and the um and the connection of this kind you know this kind is so pervasive and so timeless why? like what's the big deal so oddly enough <laughs> um came across um a you know in in kind of reviewing for this and, and figuring out okay what's a new little spin uh to to have fun with and um was reading what we owe the future by william mccaskill and uh, great book uh, by the way um and the um And so, and he was talking about, like, okay, how do we judge or assess the moral weight of a, you know, future state of affairs in the decision process that that is going to bring it about? And (laughs) if you make a drinking game out of every time I I reference a book, um, I will not pay for your medical bills uh, at the end of this. So just, yeah. but it'll be a really
0: fun show it will be a really fun show
2: (laughs) but nobody will remember
1: it afterwards
0: hey (laughs) they're recorded that's
1: unfortunate
0: yeah (laughs) it's okay it'll be memorialized forever on the interwebs (laughs) very dignified (laughs)
2: yeah yeah david bingo cards i'm somebody wants to create those i will totally endorse them so um if my endorsement means anything so but anyway, so I come across, he had this I, this uh, 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 triple way of, of looking at, and he had this notion of significance, persistence, and contingency. And this could be an entire presentation on its own, but um, shorthand essentially um, is looking at and going, okay, so significance is what's the average value Added by bringing about a certain state of affairs in this context, a particular relationship form. Like, if I create this whatever it is, a friendship, uh, you know, a coworker, um, you know, connection that um, you know that I want to that I want to maybe develop more than you know just very very casual. Um, you know, like, what value am I adding? To my life, or the broader state of affairs, by encouraging this um, persistence. You know, how long will this state of affairs last once it has been brought about? You know, so, you know, why is one of the biggest things around longevity? You know, we still even, you know, there, it's it's not just a monogamous thing. It's a just long like things that last just have an automatic socially increased weight to it, for good and ill um and then of course contingency now here's this one is this one's really is a clincher thing so contingency here has to do with if not for the action that i'm about to engage in how would the world have been in you know how briefly would the world have been in this state so in other words if i didn't do x whatever behavior it is would the thing that results Happen anyway, or wouldn't it? So it's and so we look at these three things, and um, oh, we've got a you know comments around polyamory. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So um, check
0: the polyamory bingo card. Bingo, on your, on your bingo tickets. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, oh, good question. Definitely, we'll come back to that um and so here's where why things are then so are so huge and why we put so much weight on relationships of particularly intimate kinds but also of any of them is that one significance it's practically ego worship here i mean it's really like what is the average value being added when i'm you know express you know building this relationship well huge to me like, <laughs> of course, it's huge. Like, this is what I'm doing with my time and resources. Of course, it's got to be big. Persistence. Well, of course, this is going to last forever. You know, like, we, we have this notion that things are going to last a whole lot longer than they actually end up doing. And we're terrible at contemplating death. So things are just going to last forever. And then lastly, again, back to um, this kind of, egoistic, uh, you know, focus on being agents of our own, uh, you know, lives is, of course, if I didn't do this, if I didn't do whatever this is, then it is impossible for this to have ever existed otherwise. Of course, (laughs) the problem with this is that one, it is all enormously, uh, you know, egoistic, but two... It removes from contemplation just how many things exist outside of our control that have brought the potential of our relationships into being. I mean, just you know, think about it, even the most you know the um, most casual of acquaintances that you might know, and start you know, spreading out a little bit the awareness of what in what needed to happen for you to actually even encounter this person. I mean, there are 8 billion people on this planet. 8 billion. For any single connection to exist means that one, both of you had to have been, built, you know, uh, born in a certain geographic proximity nothing you chose, obviously, um, that all of the relationships and connections and the social, you know, the, the structure of the society that you're in, all of it, none of which you had anything to do with, are all funneled around in variables in the way of bringing this connection to have that potential and, and of being. So, so looking at it this way, like, we understand a little bit of why this is so important. While at the same time, also now understanding a bit more, I'm hopeful, why then it's so yeah, soulmates, actually, I will answer that one here in about 30 seconds, um, is, uh, is why then we have so many problems associated with varying relationships. Is because we are one, putting an excessive amount of weight onto them, And two, we are doing so in a context that is fantasy. We do not have as much control over the lives and all of the things that bring us together as we think we do. And so when things happen, we then make it an outsized uh, response, precisely because we're still operating under this absurd notion that we can we have a lot more control over what's happening in our lives than we actually do, and so being able to step back a little bit and go, hmm, okay, what else is involved here, is a really, 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 really good principle uh, to operate under. So, and and this gets into you know the idea of uh, you know soulmates. <laughs> I love you know. I love fun, you know, concepts like this as much as the next person. Um, you know, the, it's a very romantic notion around, you know, love and so on. But no, I mean, if, if we mean soulmate in the sense of a predetermined uh, singularity of, of, of meeting, um, really, no, um, we can have and build any number of connections with any number of people that would be in the process of doing so equivalently powerful. We only think that this particular one is totally unique and couldn't be, you know, set up in any way, even remotely close to this because we're in it. And it's really difficult to think outside of, if not frankly, impossible to, to a certain degree to think outside of the particular relationships we're already in. Of course, this is unique to me. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, but that's not really saying anything, you know, is there, is any other connection that you could have with somebody else also then unique? Yeah. Guess what? Cause it's with somebody else. It would therefore be unique in that sense.
0: So, so there's an infinite number of soulmates is what I'm hearing. Potential soulmates. Much.
2: I mean, really, if you like to use the term, hey, all power to you. Um, but I mean, but unfortunately, what often happens there is that, you know, this reminds me a bit of, um, uh, well, one, Calvinism and being one of the elect. And um, the idea of, of uh, you know, eternal security within, you know, Christianity is going, well, wait a minute. If only, you know, the, you know, uh, yeah, bearded guy in the sky is allowed to tell you what you are or not. He's the only one that is able to know whether or not um, you know you're saved or not. Then, really, shouldn't we be going around ridiculously concerned over whether or not my understanding of my salvation is actually the same as the deities? I mean, it's amazing that more people really don't, you know, more believers don't wander around in a constant state of like perpetual anxiety because there's, other than pure ego, there's no, uh, you know, there's no rationalization here that allows for you to go, yeah, no, I totally know, you know? So same thing with soulmate, like really? How do you really know? But like the, it could be somebody else The good and place... the problem.
1: The show the good place really used it to good effect by torture the people by telling them oh. the people who were their soulmates who were the really horrible match just to torture nice. them nice that's right. and, and this, because it was know, coming from this. a divine authority they said oh this has to be right, right. i have to make it work
2: <laughs> nice well and there you are i mean it's in fact in in we probably can think of people who've used the term soulmate as a way of trapping into a connection that is frankly awful and toxic even though that term is way overused but still it's very appropriate in certain circumstances so i mean this is and and why is that because you know the soulmate idea often not always it can be fun so on and so forth and don't remove it entirely but it can be used uh in awful ways precisely because it divorces us from the reality of things are way outside of our control than we think and there's a lot more that is informing how we relate to one another than what is under our conscious you know deliberation so you know part of what we're going through here then is really to kind of bring this down to the level of how does this work like can we get a little bit more concrete than Issues of soulmate and like oh the the effluvia of you know uh of vague feeling terms. You know it's I
0: love I know, love where this is going. It it sounds like you're about to tell us that a lot of the relationship trope ideas that we have might be myths. <laughs>
2: <What>? <laughs> yeah, no. pretty much. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Say more. And,
2: yeah. About effluvia I mean, so,
0: in particular. <laughs> yeah, I just like that
2: word. I do too. So if, if I can use it, even if it's not contextually appropriate, so I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> so um, so what we then end up with here is an issue around boundaries. Now, I've re- referenced boundaries a, a couple times in the past and didn't really like explore it a whole lot. But... The way that we'll often use boundaries, particularly with clients and and anybody really, is that boundaries are the sum total of behavior we engage in and request that determines the structure of the relationship we're in. Okay, so boundaries are not walls per se. I mean, they can be used as such in the sense of keep the hell out <laughs> kind of thing. But rather than looking at it that way, it's instead going, okay, wait a minute. Okay, it's it's behavior. It's not only internalized behavior in the sense of like thoughts and feelings, but it's also external behavior, both of what we are engaging in and what we are requesting of others. Because what we're doing with our boundaries, and in fact, this kind, is this, this kind of built in to the notion of relationship relationships as, as various labels and structure is how do we know what a structure has? It has boundaries. We can differentiate between a friendship and an intimate connection and family and so on precisely because of the structure that each of them has, i.e., boundaries that we have with this. We are setting up for people and ourselves, so you know what we mean by whatever label you want you want to use or whatever idea you have, you know if you want to try to remove labels, which all of a fan for up to a point, so you know so when somebody says like, oh, I just I don't have any boundaries, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> it's impossible not to have boundaries. It's just that the boundaries you're using are not very healthy and they are not very helpful because the behavior you're engaging in is one likely not very well thought out it's not very well articulated to other other people and even if it is the other person or persons involved don't care and you're not making different decisions based on their lack of respect. So that's not <laughs> not having boundaries. That's having them and either one, them being poor, or two, not being willing to actually, you know, support them. So boundaries here, somebody might be cluing in a little bit, and Carrie's got it here. Is going boundaries then are fundamentally about consent. Let me say it again, boundaries are about consent because every relationship form is about consent. Both in the sense of how you are asking for and engaging yourself in. So, you know, it's where do we get a lot of our conversations around people? It's like, oh, I don't know what this person feels about me and I don't know who what we are together and like we do this whatever this may be but I don't know what that means and and so on or wait a minute or the kind of you know that's the kind of eh, uncertain to the point of of harm in the sense of wait and hurtful either deliberate or not is when we go wait I thought we were this and then all of a sudden this happened All of a sudden you know this happened and now what are we or oh we were friends and then we engaged in this behavior and suddenly it's like there's a lot of hurt feelings because we crossed a boundary ie you crossed the structure that determined the difference between what you associate with, in often the case, a friendship and an intimate in an intimate connection, this is a very common one. And if you didn't engage in dialogue enough, not only in, with yourself but also the other person,
0: then you haven't
2: given the due diligence that we hopefully should be doing around determining the degree of consent that we're having. Now this does not I mean we're gonna, you know, you know, we need to have you know lawyers, you know, work through, you know, all of these, you know, some big document every single time. You know, that that it's not the case. But it is an issue of being a lot more clear with not only ourselves and then maintaining those, but also in dialogue with somebody else, so that when you encounter somebody of any kind is um is going, okay, wait a minute. What do I mean by this? And what do you mean by it? You know, when I, you know, if somebody were to, you know, this this goes into, um, you know, some people, um, the, uh, okay, interesting. I'm gonna go back and read that in some of the comments. Um, some of them are long, I'm gonna pause, and people listening to this are gonna go, what the hell happened? Um, and so the, Uh, so part of what's going on here is going okay wait a minute what do I need by you know these things and if there's a behavior that is uncertain it's asking for clarification one what emotion is involved in this and two what you know what is the nature of the relationship you're building or wanting to build by doing x behavior or or requesting y behavior from me it truly, is getting in that conversation, and yes, consent is very sexy. And in fact, why is consent sexy? Because consent is about dialogue, and there is nothing more intimate <laughs> than the mind—the the mind reading that we are doing by having dialogue. It's about the only, the closest thing to mind reading we actually ever can engage in is conversation. Like, it's, we're, we can't understand. Uh, what the other person is truly thinking. Ever, we have to just keep asking and having conversation. So getting into these, you know, more uh, uh, concrete kind of examples and figuring all this stuff out is exactly what can be helpful for determining the state of a relationship. So the um, so, for instance, here there are three questions uh, that I can share here in a bit. Um, is that you know three questions to ask around uh, behavior in or, in any kind of relationship? What are the behaviors that I expect? You know, so this is like the ideal category. Two, what are behaviors that I'm eh, uncomfortable with, but I'm okay with dealing with? Like, what am i what am I okay with? You know it's the this is where we get into the whole thing of settling, uh, which is really unfortunately, uh, you know gotten really bad press um but you know it's just like oh, i'm okay with
0: this I mean it's okay wait and you then, mean to say that there's not a perfect person out there who only does all the things you like and doesn't do anything that you have to work through well i mean
1: i i'm taking and i'm not in the polyamorous <laughs> relationship sorry
0: <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. man very, everybody's very out of luck
2: <laughs> everybody's out everybody's out yeah yeah <laughs> so the Um, And then lastly, you know, what are the behaviors that I just simply don't want? Like just flat out, like here are make or break, you know, it's like, this is not going to happen. So done. And those initial questions are, um, can be enormously helpful. Again, this is very initial. Um, But in those questions are about then going, okay, um, here are some of the things I'm looking for and they start the process of determining what are the boundaries, what are the behaviors that I'm looking for to determine the nature of the connection that I'm having with this person, either specifically a, a specific person or just generally when thinking like, you know, well, I wanted an intimate partner. I don't even know. You know, for, for, for people who grew up in, you know, more cult-like, you know, family backgrounds where, you know, you were, um, not really. One, you weren't supposed to ask any questions about what the relationship is about, particularly intimacy, you uh, particularly intimacy of a sexual nature. Um, but yeah, purity culture really, uh, you know, uh, messes this up because it basically tells you you're not allowed, you're not supposed. To. In fact, even even questioning this, even contemplating it, why don't you just go to these prescribed, you know, boundaries that we are going to tell you what is and it isn't appropriate. You know, it's like. The, um, and so for those who have grown up in that, it can, you know, this can be, one, anxiety provoking, let's just face it, it's going to be, you know, big questioning. Um, But it's also going to be hard at first, because it's just not anything that we were ever raised to do. So, for instance, like, you know, I came out of a very fundamentalist background, and then of my own volition, insofar as that word has any meaning. Um, I went even more fundamentalist. <laughs> it's was like, I joke around about it. it's like to the right of Attila the Hun. Like, it was just ridiculous, like how far theologically I was is off conservative land. Um, and so, you know, the, uh, and so coming out of it, there was a whole lot of questions I had around, shit, how do I relate to people? Uh, what about sexuality? How does any of this work? And it was, in fact, getting involved in uh, polyamory uh, circles that really spearheaded a lot of the initial questions, and having that space to be able to do so. Because whatever there might exist in a lot of you know, so uh, the poly community that I was involved uh, with for a time uh, was the you know the Seattle one uh, broadly. And it was you know whatever may said a lot, hey, everybody's got you know um, problems we're all dealing with. What they really were focused on, and this is from what I can gather generally true, is really getting clear on what the hell you want. <laughs> and being okay with asking questions and being okay with requesting you know things, like you like, actually engaging in conversation, uh, not just assumption decking. Like oh my god, that's amazing! We're not we're not just basing it on a whole bunch of you know. Hopefully we're on the same assumption page, uh, kind of thing. So it was a huge like revelation of wait a minute, there's an entire world of possibilities of how we relate to one another, and and of course then there's you know uh, uh, relation roles and how this works and so on and so forth. In fact, <laughs> so I think I've shared this story before. I was um. I did uh um uh kind of rent a cop security um yay for the polyester uniform and the tin badge. Oh yes. Sexy as hell. Um polyester pants
0: are the way to go. Polyester pants are like man those creases
2: never yeah. leave. Like can cut like just cut steel
0: of those things. Yeah. You can um, wash so- and dry them at your home and hang them back up and they're still just as sharp as ever. <laughs> they're really <are>. They're amazing <laughs> so but i was at a um uh, i was at a,
2: a one location and my uh, supervisor was there and i was having a some conversation with somebody else she and the supervisor happened to be in the room and you no know, it was just like adamant like no there must be clear distinct roles in a relationship i was still just barely coming out of christianity or a bit like there's still a lot of holdups around stuff and she just looked at me and she was like no there doesn't need to be me and my husband are and she gave this whole thing around how they're ebb and flow and like behaviors are not necessarily tied to a particular label all this stuff and i'm just sitting there like like head exploded for a bit so it's just some of these experiences, like, you look back and go, <laughs> that was a rather significant, like, wait, there's a different way of looking at things out there? Yeah, don't say. Um, so it was, yeah, I, I largely forget her name, but man, one of these days, if I were encounter Connor again, I'm going to have to thank her uh, for oh <laughs> starting the ball rolling.
0: I have so many people like that in my life that if I ever run into them, it's going to be both embarrassing and I'm going to have to thank them so much and be like, listen, I know I acted like I knew everything and I knew nothing. Thank you for giving me the information.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, there are so many cringeworthy. Yes. Um, mm, Moving on. Um,
0: Yeah. (laughs) 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 Enough of that.
2: Yes. So speaking of, you know, issues around late, and this is one of the poll questions, you know, monogamy, polyamory, uh, relationship Mm -hmm. panicry. Yes, that's actually a real term. Um, And what all these things mean. And there are, um, you know, a lot of books, of course, uh, can recommend for exploration. Um, I will say one caveat. um, Just because I recommend a book does not mean I recommend or agree with every last jot and tittle uh, in it. (laughs) So um, just throwing that out there. Um, Sometimes I recommend books that I don't even fully agree with. Precisely because I don't. Because it's really good to wrestle with. And really kind of figure out, like, wait a minute. What is it that I do think when confronted with a really well-articulated contrary point? Not the stupid, the well-articulated ones. (laughs) Like Like, this is the whole iron sharpening iron thing. Like, what is it that you actually think? Let's encounter ideas where you actually maybe even come across, go, oh, I almost want to agree with this, but I don't, and now I'm uncomfortable, so how am I going to deal with it? Like, that feeling, that experience, it's awesome. It's good for you. Um, So in looking at, uh, you know, know, these various things, there are actually here uh, four criteria that kind of, you know, came up with and going, okay, how does this work? Um, totally got probably inspired by uh, a couple of weeks ago when looking at the seven dimensions of religious experience. Um, so now I'm just kind of you know realizing that a bit. But one is the emotional intent. So when looking at any kind of relationship, whether or not it's a monogamous one and polyandrous one, like how do we how do we define these things, these these broad labels that we're applying? Emotional intent. Like what is the degree of focus of preoccupation? And and as well, the narrative structure that accompanies these emotional labels. So when we, you know, we can think about, um, you know, the, uh, the, the expressions that people have around, uh, you know, their, you know, particularly significant, you know, other in a monogamous way, or, um, you know, there are so many words, I am way behind on all of the terms that get um that are now being used variously in, in polyamory. Um, so you know it's like, you know, there's primary couples and then there's, you know, there's was that I just heard? there's a tabletop uh kitchen polyamory? table. Kitchen table, table,
0: table polyamory. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I and, then I can... polyamor, polyamor, and then there's single polyamory solo polyamory. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So but so how do we how do we navigate a lot of these things if you're going, I don't want to get caught up in all the you know uh, labels here. It's like, well, one, we can begin with the emotional intent. You know, it's like, what what is the degree to which you are focusing or preoccupied with this particular person or persons, you know, with this? Two, social integration. You know, so how does this relationship form, whatever it may be, integrate within my social life and is informed by the social cultural context you're in? You know, this is where we get into a lot of the like heteronormativity stuff, we get a lot of the, you know, it's like, you know, monocultures and so on and so forth is that there's so much pressure to look at, uh, you know, things that are through a very narrow lens. Okay, well, how is that informing how I conduct myself? You know, wh- wh- what is, what is this influencing me in, in, in these, in various ways? Um, and further, how am I using this form of relationship in my social experiences. You know, there's, um, there's a book, uh, called, um, uh, reference before, um, but, um, singled out, um, forgetting the title, um, the author at this moment, but it's all about why, why, how society is completely bigoted against single people. (laughs) And it's, really interesting like the whole thing is like yes you can in fact be happy without uh a you know singular partner um
0: uh, and... is it this one by bella de singled out how singles yes. are stereotyped, stigmatized ignored and still yes. live happily ever after
2: totally a fun book um i definitely read it initially when i was in a um after a terrible relationship and was saying God, wow with all of it so likely and you know added to the emotional weight that I have around it. Um, but it's a really fun book to explore. Um, and so the social integration like how am I doing these things And part of what she goes into is like, you know, why is it that a single cabin on a cruise costs more? Like what, what the whole notion of like how often people look at you badly if you're out on Valentine's Day alone? or even out to any restaurant on any day alone. Like, ooh, look at that creep over there. You know, how many movies, for instance, are based on the notion of single women in particular being insane? Like why, yeah. So like this whole notion, like if you are single and are not particularly attached in a very specific way, suddenly you're like, this person's gotta have some problem with them. And so, you know, it's figuring out, like how are these forms that we're engaging in taking advantage of some of the things you know or in working within you know (laughs) yeah the crazy cat lady thing it is the total thing um so third time so both in quantity and in focused attention so in effect some of this is how we can then view the health relationship like how often then you know have you ever heard like you know um even people are spending a lot of time with one another but they don't feel all that connected I mean, for that matter, you, most of us spend it for those who aren't working from, you know, for who are still working in an office, literally spending like 40 plus hours a week with your coworkers. And yet, really, how often, how, how, you know, really close do you feel to most of them? Not much. You know, for those living in apartment complexes, do you know your neighbors? You literally are living in close physical proximity uh, to a, a bunch of people. And likely you don't even know their names. So it's like quantity of time and so on. Like, how does this work?
0: I feel like I know my neighbors, like Netflix content more than I know them. Cause you know, you hear it and you're like, oh, I see what these people are into, but could I tell you their names? No. No. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. And so, and that, all of that is informing that's the type of relationship that you have with them. This isn't judging all of this. It's like, it's just, it's a way of when thinking about how we connect to one another, these are categories of being able to figure out like here's the structure I'm doing. And lastly, sexual intimacy, you know, which is on a spectrum from none to singular to multiple to eh, flexible. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just you know open up the floodgates to whatever the hell we want, you know, add into this. So and in in that too, we'll then inform the nature of a connection we have with somebody and so we take those four things and we bring them into issues of what does monogamy mean and there is no singular necessarily definition i've seen you know it depends on the nature of because again we come back to so all this ties together we come back to the object and the intent and the intent has to do with the stories and the emotions that we bring to something so monogamy, I've you know seen couples. It's like, oh yeah, we're not we're monogamous together. Well, what does that actually mean in practice? You know, are you you know is the focus on economic? It's focus on emotional? You know, we get into as people who are like, well, you can have an emotional affair. Not everybody thinks that, and yet they're also monogamous. So where do how do where does that work? Oh well, this is how they're relating to to certain aspects of their experience. Um, and or physical, in you know, it's usually for monogamous. It's some form of that in an isolated, connected, connection way. So, but that's where you get into conversations with people. It's like I'm literally, <laughs> was like, uh, Dan Savage has, has referenced this multiple times in the past, where it's like you know, it's um uh, you can be monogamous, or as he has put it, I think it was Savage who did it, uh, monogamish, um, in the sense that. You know your you know swingers um, will sometimes uh, you know can can be not defining it entirely but can be seen in this perspective a bit in the sense that by and large like ninety percent of their life is monogamous in a very in a certain sense but and eh, they go to parties and you know have sex with other people like still monogamous maybe ish but it's still you know there why because they're largely in a Uh, isolated connection where it comes to, say, probably, in that sense, economic, emotional. These just aren't necessarily in the physical. Then you have polyamory, for instance. So, again, looking through, you know, these four categories of how do we look at these things. You know, generally speaking, you know, polyamory just means multiple loves, uh, which, frankly, I've always had a problem with this definition um, because, well in that sense everybody's polyamorous like really literally everybody on the face of the planet is capable of loving multiple people in, in different ways like that's literally the definition of lovely living <laughs> so it always, it's always always been a bit of a pet peeve of mine around it um so uh when it comes to polyamory generally speaking and i've totally upset people before with this whatever um, is that for polyamory to be unique in a way is that it must include the potential or actual sexual component. Doesn't mean it has to actively be engaging, but there is a potential. Like there is this, like somebody has mentioned a romantic, like there's some, you know, physicality here involved that is typically more than what you would do just with a casual friend and so on. And then, And then you're juggling like, Okay, well, how does this all work? But again, we come back to emotional intent. Not everybody in a polycule, you know, or a group who's involved with one another is going to be experienced or have the same weight as everybody else. You couldn't. Um, integration. I mean, there's why you know often there's married couples that then have others uh, or somebody who's you know more weighted in time. There's the third one. And this is where incidentally a lot of conversations and a lot of hurt feelings can come up because now you're having kind of like where every single one of these categories is where, um, emotional hurt can develop. You don't feel as well for as much for me as I do for you, yeah, emotional intent. Uh, I don't appreciate how it is that uh, when we're out in public that um, you know, you show affection in this way with this person, but not with me, or vice versa. Social integration. Oh, time. I mean, what's the classic? Time, you know, time our uh, love is infinite, time is not. <laughs> that's why the best thing for polycules is the Google Calendar. Um, is the old <laughs> old joke around that. Um, but then that's where the 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 difficulties arise as well. You know, how it, do we spend more time with this person? Do we spend more time with this person? So and so forth. And then, of course, sexual intimacy, which then opens up all sorts of other things. What what is the nature of what is and isn't uh, safe and so on and so forth with various, you know, uh, people coming coming in and out. Like, how does this all work? So you have these categories as a way of not only defining what you mean by some of these relationship labels you have. But as well, then, they are ways of isolating where difficulties will pop up in one or more of these. And question, Karen?
0: Yes. Okay. So remind me again, because I'm actually trying to take notes here. What are these? Can you name the areas again where the questions might come up?
2: hmm Actually, I'll go ahead and share them. This is why I have notes, because then I can copy and paste. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm being a super note over here and actually taking notes as you're speaking. <laughs> so I'm about to copy yeah. and paste that.
2: <laughs> there we go. Um, and so, and lastly here, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other ones, but we also have, so relationship anarchy. It's been a while actually since I'd encountered this phrase or term. Um, it was supposedly originally coined by, uh, Andy Nordgren. Um, and I believe there is a, a link, uh, that I gave you, uh, Kara. Um, but, uh, it's from, uh, let's see here. Yeah. Theanarchistlibrary.org. The He's got a whole you know thing developed this years and years and years ago. Um, so <laughs> I joked her a little bit earlier around when we first mentioned relationship anarchy at the very beginning of the intro, um, that uh, I kind of define relationship anarchy as a philosophy in search of a problem. Um, because uh, it's uh, very interesting because largely what it boils down to is the focus is on the anarchy. And the anarchy is very much focused on politics. So what it is is kind of like actively utilizing a relationship form to give the middle finger to perceived, uh, you know, heteronormative and other kinds of um, perceived like norms that exist in, in society. And so you know, Winner um, developed these principles around it to define it as here we are going look. Um, you know, every relationship is unique. Uh love and respect instead of entitlement. Uh, you know, find your core set of relationship values and so on. Highly recommend actually reading the the principles there um in the in the link. Um but uh let's see here. There we go. Um because um, it's interesting. Now what's interesting about it <laughs> is that um it's called life like this whole notion that for instance like relationship anarchy questions the idea that love is a limited resource that can only be real if restricted to a couple there is not a single person on the fate of this world that actually thinks that nobody actually thinks that they just don't you know they you know love because they will literally use the term love and, and mean it in various ways and and depending on friends and family, and in an intimate partner, so nobody thinks that love is a limited resource. They might think it's limited in the sense of a particular relationship form, but then again, if we come back to resources and those four c- categories, everybody thinks that. Like nobody, no nobody's living life here, going like. You know, it's totally infinite every single time. Like, no, it's not. Nobody's actually doing this. So it's, but what ends up happening, and this is where, and this is is why I brought it up here, is despite the fact that I think it's really not great uh, or adding anything, is that often what's happening is, is that, the initial idea has to do with, I am against rules, I'm against regulations, I'm against structure. And so in practice, what often it ends up doing, and encounter this with clients, increasingly so, is that what it really means in practice is I get to do whatever the hell I want, treat you any way I want, and I don't have to be held to any kind of standard because standards mean rules and, and, and so on. Like, this, often what ends up happening. In fact, Nordgren himself couldn't even, you know, keep to the idea of there's no rules or regulations because he literally, you know, stated that's what this is and then provided eight principles to define it. I mean, this whole notion that we're going to, you know, exist in some kind of utopia of non-labeled, non-ruled, non-structure existence is... Not just a fantasy, it's a truly, um, in my perhaps not so humble opinion, awful and malignant idea. We are always going to have structure. Our brains cannot do otherwise. The question is not whether or not you have it or not, because you do. It is. What are they? And how well do you have a conversation about them with other people? Do you hold people to standards that you have not articulated? Are you holding yourself to a standard that you have not fully articulated? That's where we get in trouble. The solution is not to attempt to get rid of all, you know, bid all boundaries and structure it's just simply going to result in a lot of hurt and the more you try to focus on it the more problematic things are going to be because when you try to live that way and then reality goes no you can't um then you end up having a lot of problems
0: i love how that just came full circle like that actually to me like illustrated completely what you were talking about earlier with boundaries equating with consent, because mm-hmm. you just showed in the absence of any kind of boundaries how it you're not in a consensual relationship. You're saying, I can mm-hmm. do whatever I want. Yeah. It all made sense. Mind blown. Carry <laughs> on.
2: <laughs> I may have put this in a particular order. So um, in the last minute or so here, before we get to questions, because there's so many of them, um, is, uh, you know, so all of this can be, you know, is trying to distill it down to like three kind of relationship principles here. Of how, how do we get through and do things as healthily as possible? This does not mean we're never going to make mistakes. Your Lord, uh, that's, <laughs> the case. um, it, instead it's here, just guiding structures to be able to go, how do I think about these things? And one reflect actively engage with your boundaries do not you know work a whole lot less on assuming them and work a whole lot more on uh you know actively engaging with them not just assuming like oh the boundary i've had for the last 10 years must be okay right maybe maybe not i mean this is where even You know, so called, you know, very socially prescribed things like marriages go through cycles and they go through ebb and flow of connections and so on. And yeah, boundaries change exactly. And that is not a problem. The problem is when we either one don't think they do because they are, or two are not actively engaging with them enough to recognize that they are changing and then owning it. So one of the biggest issues that I have with a lot of couples is, is clients is when is coming and going, well, you know, uh, we used to be this and now this is happening. We've well, been together for 10 years. Of course, it's going to change. Like you didn't even need to add kids to the equation. You know, it's, things are just going to shift every single time you have a new job or do you move someplace. Any like Any of it is going to shift. And by more actively engaging with what it means to be connected, what are the boundaries that define who what we have together? Yeah, yeah, things are gonna <laughs> hit you right upside the head, and not in a nice way. So, two, check in on the resources being put to maintaining a particular relationship. How much time? How much emotional weight? How much you know, uh, participate? Like, what are you doing? With this and whatever this is, pick a pick a connection. Like, what am I doing with this? And lastly, hold <laughs> your thoughts, judgments, emotions lightly. Humanity is a whole lot bigger than any particular attempt at defining any singular experience. Hold them lightly. This is not. This is this is that. You know, you can go back and listen to another presentation I gave on the psychology of fundamentalism. (laughs) But, you know, because it's not just, it's not just a religious thing. It's a proclivity that we all have to not wanting to challenge what we think is just so. And that has to do as well here with how we view the world and ourselves and everything in it. So holding things lightly to be able to go, you know, eh, I can, I, I can change things. I can, one, I'm likely wrong. To some capacity, because we all are. Uh, if only by wrong we mean ignorant, uh, or simply not holding, you know, enough information together. Like we just are all the time. That's okay. It's where why lightly and being flexible is so important, because then we can, you know, jive with like, what are we going to do and the people that we're with. Because that's why we put so much weight to this, because who we believe ourselves to be how we show up, it's all through the relationships that we have and whatever kind they may be. And so we can have fun with it. And we can also do so in as healthy way, a poss- a way as possible.
0: I love that. I have taken many, many notes this evening. This is (laughs) this is excellent. I'm going to have to go back and and sit with this. But this this was good. This was good information before we go to the Q&A. Do you have anything else you want to share with us or any? I don't know, other talks or things you would (laughs) like to promote (laughs) where people can learn more about this topic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so
2: I actually finally uh, am going to be uh, offering a class on online class on communication principles. Um, and that'll be four Sundays, um, starting March twelfth. And uh, the class is, is narrowed to 15. Um, if you want to be a couple, you can totally show up that way, too. It's totally fine uh it's a couple or, or a cool like you know it's fine. Um so it's just 15 signups <laughs> with it. Um but it's an hour and a half uh each week for four weeks and we'll be going through some of what we talked about here and a bunch of other things as well. So um if you have any questions about it you can reach out to me through my website as well. Uh and yeah hope to see people there because it's gonna be a lot of fun um and yeah
0: i have a feeling it's gonna be sold out by the end of this evening (laughs) but you know sorry if you're watching this on youtube a few months from now you you probably missed it i'll redo
2: it i'll redo (laughs) it but yeah i would say if it's sold out by the end of the night that i'd shave my head but that doesn't actually work
0: i mean you could say that just (laughs) i could say it
2: Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. that is excellent. Well, well, I am excited. If it's not sold out by the time we're done here tonight, I'm probably going to be signing up for that class. So (laughs) you might see me there, unless y'all all all beat me to it. So you know, leave me a space. That would be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding. Well, this this has been awesome. This is really good, and this is just. The beginning of our uh, our February series on talking about love and relationships, and I think this is a fantastic way to kick it off, and be thinking about them in a more realistic and productive, constructive, mutually enthusiastically consenting kind of way. (laughs) So thank you for kicking us off. This has been wonderful. It's always great having you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, we have a whole big bunch of questions. And uh, <laughs> I we'll, yeah. we'll oh, get so, through as many as we can. <laughs>
1: so David, you, do you have access to this document? Did you see all the ones that were collected? Uh, no. Oh, OK. You just from the chat, you're saying you, you noticed. OK. Yeah, I just I, don't, from the
0: chat. I don't
1: think I've seen this many collected from a talk.
0: Yeah, this is a lot. It's a lot. So we're, we're going to go through a few of them and then we'll have to move to the Hangout. And And if we don't get to your question, I'm sorry. Ask it in the Hangout and we'll stay as long as we can. Um, but OK, I guess we could just kind of start at the beginning. Um, well, let me
1: ask it since I asked the
0: question. That was <laughs> going to be my suggestion. Thank like, you. Go ahead. So,
1: David, why is the heart associated with love when clearly it has nothing to do with it? From an engineering perspective, <laughs> I cannot stand it. And I have actually met yeah. people who argue with me. Of course, it does. Why would they say that if it didn't?
2: <laughs> well, you know what's uh, what's honestly actually a little funny about it is that um, the while the heart isn't the uh, there is an entire almost other nervous system cluster in the gut, and so uh, in many ways it would be better to say that uh, mm. love and so on is about your intestines. <laughs> um, but it just doesn't have that ring to it no, no. Um, it's, so, in, it's in your bowels yeah no yeah I mean try having a piece of jewelry hanging from your with like you know eight feet of intestine I like it's just it's kind of crazy. um so, um no there's a there's a whole history behind um why the heart and I cannot I, I, I could try to remember part of it, but I'd likely be making stuff up and conflating stuff. So I don't want to go there. Does it maybe um, have to do with like, you
1: know, you can feel from your chest, your heart beating and you, you can't feel the brain do anything. I mean, yeah, you can't feel your heart, yeah. and your heart Thankfully, rate goes up at certain times. Maybe. I mean, maybe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is where we get back into um, feeling and emotional states. We have what are the feeling states that are often associated with automatically with particular socially prescribed or you know emotional states? Well, like you said, yeah, you know heart rate increasing uh, when we're around that special someone. Um, and you know it's just like all of these things like you know heartbreak, you know it's, it's so easy to associate it with because it's the one time that we're really, you know, having a visceral, you know, uh, uh, phys- physically felt experience around it. So, you know, this is one of those um, where totally another presentation, but you know, it's the whole idea of um, uh, uh, conceptual metaphor theory and the notion that much of how we define the world in our in our terms is based on at core uh, our physiology. You know, even at at the level of well, what is up? Well what's above us you know the face of something where it's a projection of well i have a face it must be the front of something even though a freaking rock doesn't have a face there's no front to a rock but well, what do we refer to? but we can use the term describe the face of a rock but what do we mean by that well the thing that's actually you know we're actually looking at. so you know it's just yeah there's a lot there about how we conceptualize the world that's based on our meat suits
1: yeah, and the the Egyptians like you know got that wrong because they thought the heart was really important, so so they saved it, but the brain they just oh, sucked they out, threw away. Yeah, they what's they what's it right this gook in the head?
2: <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah, like fooled you. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that's great. Yeah, and I mean when you think about it, I, it kind of makes sense if if you're just sort of examining bodies and and you don't have brain scans you don't have you know mris cat scans you're not doing autopsies i mean how would you know that you know the brain was the the center of of where thoughts and feelings might be happening
1: also i have you know jesus or god-shaped hole in my heart no one says i have a hole in my head
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. oh my goodness david i'm laughing at your xenomorph comment <laughs> <It's>, yes <laughs> The horror
2: jesus is the original xenomorph <laughs> bursting from your heart this
0: is, yeah 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 giant dick <laughs> bursting out of your heart great alien movie <laughs>
1: reference for people who don't get that
0: yes thank you mm, yeah. moving on to the next question if you don't get that i'm sorry you are now required to stick around for the hangout where we discuss sci-fi for about <laughs> half all of the time <laughs> It's coming. (laughs) Okay. But before that, we have a few more questions. Okay. Um, This one's interesting. And someone's asking, uh, talking about the whole feelings versus emotions and everyone has them thing. um, How do you explain to someone who experiences and expresses feelings more intensely but has a hard time being convinced that you're experiencing similar emotions as them, but mm-hmm. you might express them at a different intensity level. Is how do you get them to understand that we're both having, you know, a similar feeling or, or emotion, yeah. um, but right. but we're not describing it? Or would that be having the same feeling but a different emotion? Or like um, that for it's us. It's
2: a little. I mean, so part of the the splitting that I'm doing here is for exploration you know when we're having the experience itself we don't draw too much of a distinction you know so um part of it's like when we're in slower moments <laughs> to be able to reflect um so the um so in that situation so this comes up a lot when it comes to grief oh. when you have people like like are you, are you okay you're not grieving because i haven't seen you yes. cry or yes. When re- when when leaving a relationship, it's like, am I truly upset about this? I haven't had a breakdown. Uh, there's no requirement here. Like this is, this is not. In fact, um, this is one of the problems behind some of the research in emotions that uh, Feldman Barrett um, uh, looks at in her criticism of Paul Ekman. Um, mm-hmm. I love the movie. I love the TV show. Why to me, but it's BS. Um, yeah. it, it's a fantastic show, but no. Um, love but that show is but, that yeah yeah is that she points out a part of the problem we're having is that um particularly american western culture is going around and when we ask people of other cultures like um what emotion are you experiencing what they don't tell you with these experiments is that they've spent a significant amount of time training the people into what the definition of certain things are, and so on, so that when they then show these, you know, uh, highly uh, prescribed faces, they're like, oh yeah, no, that's that. But when you actually take the time to learn a language and how they're, you know, looking, experienced, then suddenly it's like, oh wait. But the problem is here is that um, you know, entertainment uh, and so on is so pervasive across the world that we're kind of creating an emotional monoculture. And it's why it's so important to engage as much as possible with various ways of looking at in the words and terms and concepts that people have around what emotional experiences are. Because there's so much more to how we can experience things than the, you know, seven core, you know, whatever you know emotional states you are
0: oh this so, is reminding me of a book reference have you read the left hand of darkness by ursula k leguin
2: i'm i'm actually working through it right now <gasps> yeah. i have not okay. i'm not fully yeah i'm not fully finished it yet but so far it's excellent yeah
0: you know her yeah. her father was a famous at the time anthropologist and ethnographer so many of mm-hmm. her books Fun. her sci-fi books read like you know going and living amongst other cultures uh-huh. she's So that informs all of it. And that's a theme that happens in that book. I won't spoil it for you, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of a a theme that runs through it where it's like, Oh, you're experiencing this emotion that I'm not familiar with and do not have an analogous one to compare it to. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to try to relate to each other anyway. Yeah. Nice.
2: Yeah. No, there's a, there's a, eh, okay. Yeah. Sci-fi discussion uh, in books and movies uh, in the, in the chat. Hang on. Um, So back to the question. So part of it is you'll never actually get to the person to fully understand in the the sense of like, they fully like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. Instead, it's having a conversation around this is how I'm expressing it. This is what I mean by it. And having that dialogue with the person around it so that um, you so there's a caveat here. So. Is having that initial, because often when people are asking about that, give them the benefit of the doubt initially, is that there's a concern that um, that you may not be, you know, whatever, dealing with the loss or whatever it may be. So, yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt. And they're operating from that kind of socially prescribed assumption that this is how the proper way to express emotions is is, uh, uh, is supposed to be done. And so then you get into that dialogue about, okay, this is how I'm doing. Um, maybe even have a conversation about, you know, here's how I am expressing it. I mean, maybe there's something else, not necessarily in the way that you think, but maybe there is another way I can express. Well, I mean, it's part of what you know, good therapy is is also about, it is about figuring out new ways of expressing the internality of what's going on so that you can. Uh, flexibly figure out you know all the nuances here so now here's the thing (laughs) if the person responds with a continued dismissal of what you're saying then leave (laughs) if they're in more in that if they're more focused on making sure that you express yourself in a very specific way that makes sense to them you don't need that shit. Like, just go, you know what? How important is this to you? If it's really important, then I'm going to go find somebody who just is okay with holding the space for me to be me and express how I want to. And maybe, who knows? Maybe I will have a cry fest later. But just because I'm not doing it right now doesn't mean I'm some kind of deranged, you know, uh, you know, damaged person. It just means that I'm not expressing it that way right now. Maybe I am not for years. Who knows? Like, that's okay. So, yeah.
0: I am really glad that you said that. I literally had that exact conversation when I was going through a divorce many years ago, and that was something that a family member said to me. They were like, you're not grieving. There's something wrong with you. Why are you not crying right now? And I was like, "Uh, you're really putting me on the the the... spot.
2: Yeah, the dismissal (laughs) there is really obnoxious. Like, you're not actually grieving. Oh, the hell I'm not like <laughs> yeah, you're are in you, my like, head. really just because i don't yeah like you don't tell me what i'm thinking feeling right now it yeah. so it's yeah no no
0: yeah thank you I'm, i feel validated okay we probably have time for one more question okay, rob so are you I had, ready i
1: had to go through all the ones that are left and i picked one that i i don't think i think i know the answer to this but i really want to hear what david says can there ever be a healthy relationship if obsession over a person is involved with that
2: relationship? Uh, all of a sudden, I'm thinking of Taylor Swift fans,
1: um, <laughs> or, or or anyone Taylor Swift has dated, and then I like right Or
2: next. yeah, um, wow, yeah. Actually, there was an interesting interview with her. Um, yes, I actually am a Taylor Swift fan to, to a degree. Okay. Uh, I actually like her music. Um, but but there's an interesting uh, uh, interview with her because she's actually been in a in a relationship for like five six years and they deliberately kept it secret for so long because of the excessive focus that people bring to whoever it is that she has been dating well it can be said that she. May have contributed to a bit of that herself, but it's still it's still horr- horrifically like ridiculous the the obsession that people have over you know what their you know celebrities are, are doing. Um, so you know, so it's just an interesting insight into like they actively had to curtail their expression in certain ways of how they mean to one another precisely because of how awful uh, the you know people are. So when it comes to obsession. Can you can you have a healthy with a new person? No. <laughs> Sorry, I you were I, say that. I, I'm trying to like I'm trying to like. Can I think of a of a, a variation here that could maybe make this work? No, because if we're gonna have words mean anything, if if it's truly obsession, I mean it's really like to the I point. I guess we have of, to define you know,
1: that word. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so say, you know, let's go back to the four categories that I had before. So obsession would mean, like, um, you know, the emotional intent and time, you know, two categories where the person is, like, to the point of harm or damage to one of our areas of their life, that the preoccupation is such that it's resulting in that. And then they're spending so much time in focusing on this person that is getting in the way of you know you know certain elements of their life then no you can't have a healthy connection without you you just can't like it's the definition of unhealthy here <laughs> is what's going on so you're you're not going to be able to do it um and don't even go down the path of i could make this person change no you can't <laughs> um just just don't so yeah
0: Awesome. Again, with the boundaries and the structure and the consent. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, let's wrap up there.
3: Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non belief. Hope, healing, and support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local recovery from religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering From Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.